Hello and welcome to another awesome episode of the Last King Podcast where we're going to be talking about tons of video game stuff, especially in this time when the corona, the COVID-19 coronavirus is still <laughs> ongoing. I'm your co-host, Mr. Toffee, and joining me, of course, is good old Shafiq. Yes. So how are you coping with the, what do they call it, the CB, right? Circuit Breaker? The Circuit Breaker over here in Singapore where we're all being informed very politely to stay at home. <laughs> you get fined a lot of money too, right, if you, st- if you stay outside. So for all you of you who are wondering, right, what's the deal with... Uh, the circuit breaker. So the circuit breaker here in Singapore is basically uh, orders from uh, the government for everybody in non-essential services to stay at home. And Singapore being Singapore, uh, yes, uh, we are known as a fine country for a reason. It is $300 if you are within one meter of any human being right now. And I think it's like $50 or $80 if you're not wearing a mask. So very expensive time to be walking around Singapore right now, unfortunately. Yeah, but at the same time, it does encourage people to stay the fuck home, so which everyone should be doing to make sure that the curve goes down. As yeah. I've mentioned several times on this podcast, as a video gaming isolationist curmudgeon, <laughs> I've been training for this day all my life. Why are you all walking around outside? Stay at yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. Or better yet, cook your own food or... I mean, the only time we're only going out is just for groceries anyway, so that's a plus point. And I would also say, now is the perfect time for you to go onto YouTube and finally learn how to uh, be an adult and start preparing meals for yourself, I guess. <laughs> so we should do a bit of recap on the news, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's been happening a bit here and there. Gaming-wise, is the latest Hearthstone expansion, Ashes of the Outland, which was released, I think, a week ago. As a fan of Hearthstone, we've been looking forward to a new hero class and some new cards, especially after the last expansion was pretty much meh. So the new hero Hero class Demon Hunter is broken as hell, and as of this reporting, now it's not anymore. <laughs> yeah, before that update happened, that hotfix that's pretty quick, you know, as opposed to like, oh, after two, three weeks or so, here's an update, a meta balancing here and there. Like, what was the win rate for the Demon Hunter compared to the rest of the other classes? Like, it came to a point where the meta, especially with all the other original nine classes, it kind of evened out, but uh, the Demon Hunter was definitely edging out. Like, it was definitely garnering over 60% more wins compared to other classes. So it's like Jesus a six. Christ. So it's a six four <laughs> matchup for everybody. And when the cards came out, like here's the bullshit thing about the Demon Hunter, especially for all of you who kinda play Hearthstone or don't play Hearthstone. So let me explain. Imagine a a, a class that has amazing card draw and amazing endgame and the ability to clear the board whenever it feels like. So Reminds you of like old school bullshit hunter. Oh right, hunter back in like the remember very first remember bit. face hunter back in the day and like basically yes I remember that yeah, oh my god all you did yes. was like load up all your charge characters and just win because every round you get a free like uh two damage against face and it's like I think some animal cards the beast cards were cheaper back in the first update of Hearthstone before yo the yeah. updates happened like yeah. back in the day when all you needed was like you know the hyena and like basic and unleash the hounds it's like yep yes I love using <laughs> that card to win oh my god and also back in the I day mean, like times. if you also paired it up with the vulture and then for each beast got a card back and it's like okay it's like, so like demon hunter was basically very similar to that kind of bullshit uh, I mean, it was not as bad as Face Hunter, but unfortunately, uh, yeah, it was definitely winning a lot of matches and it was making it accessible, okay, with Ooh, quotation okay. marks. I mean, this is a premier esports event, but I'm, like, I'm not sure if there's going to be any esports Hearthstone matches in a while. They are actually still hosting one online. I think it could be on Blizzard's main channel, uh, correct mm. me if I'm wrong. I know they're keeping everything online because of the current situation, so yeah. we'll still be seeing games. It's just that you will be seeing a crowd. <laughs> I mean, like, 
you can definitely just do this all purely online. You don't necessarily need to worry about latency when it comes to a game like Hearthstone. Like you uh, don't yeah, need a turn-based game does not re- require reflexes. Just you know, mm-hmm. a lot of brain power and yeah. Well, this is just Blizzard uh, shitting the bed again because I yeah. mean it's been th- it's been nothing but terrible news for Blizzard ever since that whole uh, Blitzstrung getting up even before that remember when they tried to convince everybody don't you have mobile phones to play Diablo Immortal oh that was a year prior oh my god yes you know what I mean trying to forget that and here's the strange thing like everybody is like talking about Blitzchong but that like during the apology that was also the same time they announced the Diablo 4 trailer yeah yeah but it was a really smart tactic because they know some people are gonna forgive Blizzard with the Diablo 4 and the Overwatch two trailers so. yeah I don't know it's, it, it's a good trick it's a good trick a nice little PR manipulation slate of hand kind of <laughs> stuff <laughs> slate of yeah. hand no they put yeah. all their cards on the table okay speaking yeah, of so, cards so to speak and I think they decided like you know we don't want people to not play this game but we want people to still spend money on this because Hearthstone is their bread and butter. It's their their major money maker because they don't release games as often as they used to. And with Heroes of the Storm already like kind of dead, they're not updating that game anymore. That's the only way they're getting the money they back. They can't compete against like Dota and League of Legends. Uh, Heroes of the Storm mm. was definitely dead in the water. I mean, it does yeah, have its it core have following. Earlier. Yeah, but it's also strange because it's like if you want to compare it to say something like Dota 2, which was just originally a Warcraft 3 mod. Exactly, yeah. They could just literally make their own version of Dota 2 with Warcraft 3. Or just keep Ice Frog like, hey, you know what? We're going to pay you and be under Blizzard. Just make this for us. Eh, I mean, Blizzard money versus Valve money. You have Blizzard who are known for maybe four or five prestige titles. And then you have Valve which sells every game you know on the planet. Yeah. And in other gaming news, Stadia is free. You hear that? Crickets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Stadia uh, has announced that in light of the current situation right now, their pro subscription has been reduced to $0 for all of you people who uh, decided to spend some hardened cash and buy that controller and Chromecast combo. Uh, and it's got nothing to do with the fact that, you know, they have nothing but like a severe drop in their user base. Like over 50% of Destiny 2 people on Stadia like have stopped playing and stopped logging in. Yeah, that lag is probably killing them, I guess, <laughs> per se. Like everybody, like ever since the, the the service has launched about a month or so, people are already like making comparisons with like their PC installed games with Stadia services. I mean, I think the only real problem with Google right, is they overpromise things that they couldn't deliver and, and letting you know like, okay, you will definitely be getting like 4K at 60 FPS no matter where you are. And they can't even deliver on that. It's like... Alright, get your priorities in order. And also, I mean, their business model is extremely weird because you have to still pay a subscription on top of maybe like purchasing like the Founders Edition, which is the control in the Chromecast. Yeah, you still have to pay for the game. The games yes. are not free in the service. Yeah. Exactly. And it's an even weirder business model when these are games that you probably already own. Yeah, that is bullshit. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. guess what? You know, what happens when like, you know, Google decides to finally shutter this, like so many things they've done in the past. Because the whole gives a service thing, it dies when the company says it dies. And they can pull the plug anytime they want. Especially somebody Especially like Google. <laughs> yes. I mean, we can only easily name so many services that has gone the way of the dodo. Remember like, Google Plus? We can even name, like some streaming services like uh, Gamefly, GameTab. They all had their lives under the sun. Then there's even OnLive that... It came and then it went without nary a buzz. Yeah, but I mean, like, there's also other, like, maybe outliers, like, maybe, uh, like, Microsoft has one uh, streaming service that's up and coming. And it's actually kind of tied into Game Pass in a way. I'm not sure, but mm. I know they're working on that in, just to make sure that their upcoming system is 
like gonna be able to stream games per se because I'm hearing rumors that the yeah, Xbox Series X there might be a version where there's no way to put in the disc there's no hard disc you stream games from the box itself yeah and there's also uh, GeForce Now or GeForce yeah which unfortunately is losing a lot of like publishers because a lot of publishers are pulling their games from the GeForce Now uh, catalog mm-hmm. so like there's so many things that this that's so dependent for this to work and the, until all these game companies and all these publishers and all these internet providers decide to work in unison because I think at this point of time it's like everybody is pretty much concerned about like you know my share of the money it's like okay I'm putting my game in your service and how much do I get out of that and if you're yeah. gonna, only going to charge like maybe a subscription or if you're going to make it free so it's like everybody's complaining about like okay what's the business model and who gets to earn what and I think that's also a sad state of affairs when it comes to like you know the gaming industry in general because it's like everybody's like talking about big bucks here like I mean it's a billion dollar industry and I don't know like when more people are too interested in making profits than making interesting games right there's like yeah, it's a sign of time there's a bit of a problem there yeah mm-hmm. I don't know we can only speculate and hope and see so yeah so for any of you who happens to own a Google Stadia Founders Edition, I mean, it's only available in very select regions in the US and in the Europe. Asia, no news yet. It's supposedly this year. We'll see. Who knows? But doing this in more high broadband speed places like South Korea. Definitely. South or Korea Japan. Be the best place to do it. Yeah. yeah you know, Japan they have 5G internet already. Yes. So Crazy it's like uh, for them to release in somewhere like uh, the US, which is like you know Fisher Price Internet, like yeah, sure, AT and T, Comcast, Verizon. Yeah. Uh, let's see what kind of bandwidth you get there. I don't know. I mean, we had an entire episode dedicated to that already. Yeah. Yep. Least for me to beat a dead horse, but yeah. So Google Stadia has officially gone uh, free for the Pro membership subscription. Uh, sure, if you care, <laughs> if you want to play Destiny Two. So that's our new segment for today. Uh. Now, we're going to be talking about a anime which we sang very high praise for when Season 1 came out a year ago and yeah, yeah. also very video game centric and also very much attuned to gentlemen our age because this is... Who like fighting games, yes, especially. And Season 2 just dropped on Netflix a couple, I think a few days ago or it a week ago. It was a couple ago. of days ago, yeah. Yeah, and I it. know it's been out like uh, on every other platform very early in 2019 or maybe, no, late 2019. So we finally got our hands on it and we were looking forward to this for the longest time. Yep. So, John, what are your initial thoughts on Season 2 of High School? I actually enjoyed this a little bit more because they are definitely fleshing out the the triangle between the love triangle between uh, Akira Ono, Hidara, and Yaguchi. Yes, the guy. Yes. Hidaka, you mean? <laughs> uh, no, Hidaka is the girl. Um, wait, hey, you said Hidara. <laughs> Hidaka, sorry, Hidaka. My God, I'm getting all my Japanese names mixed up. Want to try that Otherwise, again? I don't, I don't want to just say blonde girl, right? So that's a bit mean. I mean, no, tell you what. Let's use uh, the more uh, easy to understand trope of uh, Archie, Betty, and Veronica. <laughs> okay, there we go. Yes, yes. Nah, let's not. Okay, so like, uh, so what do you love about the new uh, the love triangle? Yeah, yeah. This is actually just basically escalate things a little bit further con- that Hidaka was definitely being more aggressive and how it goes on from there. And then seeing uh, her and... Akira going both to blows in Street Fighter. That was actually a good combination point, like how it leads up to that. I want to touch on that too, because like what I especially loved about that whole segment, right, was like how it was a metaphor for their feelings towards Yaguchi. Yes, yeah. And also, like, I mean, 
is it a spoiler? Like, this anime technically has been out for a while. I mean, for all of those who finally caught it on Netflix, right? I'm pretty sure you binged it by now. We're going to try yeah. our best not to spoil too many things, but there's so much about this that we want to discuss and talk about, and it's going to be very hard without, like, revealing a few key plot points. So, I mean, we'll try to dance around this as much as we can, right? Okay, okay. But I totally agree with you. Uh, when Hidaka and Akira finally go hit to hit, right? And, like, basically the metaphor about, you know, two girls fighting over a guy through a fighting game. And also, I would say this, right? Hidaka finally comes into her own as this character because she's like, in the last season, she was seen more as an annoyance. More like an add-on character that most anime require yeah, to I have. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, she was basically, I would say, you know, a point of conflict for, like, maybe Akira and definitely Yaguchi. Because Yaguchi maintained his persona of, like, not really being, like, in touch with his emotions or his feelings. And kind of, like, being m- pretty much aloof or glib, I would say. Mm-hmm. To the affections of both these girls and only slowly realizing that he's choosing one over the other but Hidaka I was especially say especially in season 2 she is definitely more fleshed out because like her motivations become a little bit more pronounced and clear I mean she definitely revealed why she fell for Yaguchi and it's basically like how he is a simple person how he's somebody who like is passionate about the things he is truly passionate about and I can kind of relate being with somebody who actually cares about something because they definitely have a different way and different stance. And she did make the first move. Yes. Like challenging him to a video game like a battle, right? And like if you win, you have to go on a date with me, right? Whereas Yaguchi and Akira, they've always been dancing around that issue, especially since Akira has always been the one who never actually speaks, just doing the whole girl noise thing, you know, mm. to express her displeasure or, or her happiness. Like for me, that's the greatest strength about High Score Girl is because in some way, I don't know if it's accurate, but it's definitely accurate to me because I can totally relate to the entire like awkwardness of like, you know, going through adolescence and like being attracted to the opposite sex because he's like in season one and I see him now in season two and how he's slowly learning to adopt more like, you know, adult ideals, like, you know, getting a part-time job, getting a scooter and... Yeah, yeah. He grew up. He grew up. I mean, he still loves games, but at the end of the yeah. day, he still has to grow up. And then he did grow up kicking and screaming because he was pretty much dragged along because there's an entire segment, if you recall, when all the girls forced him to play that dating simulator. <laughs> yes, Tokimeki <laughs> Memorial. <laughs> oh yeah, and then uh, I believe it was also the mother, uh, uh, Yaguchi's mom and uh, Akira's sister, Makoto, who are basically also a bit of a highlight where they try to... They are my go- favorite yeah. comedy duo. Especially yes. like that entire scene where they... Like when Makoto just randomly appears at the house and she starts playing like, who can think of gross words and then they play the gross words like joining yes. game. And karaoke. <laughs> For me, it's like what I love about High School Girl, right? It's, it's got all the archetypes that kind of like, you know, the gamer boy will fall for. You got the very, you know, rambunctious, over-the-top Makoto, who's a little bit too old for you, but you think about it. And then you get Hidaka, who is just this uh, sad, lovelorn puppy who will follow you around anywhere. You know, yeah. perfect, you know, because you don't have to do much work. <laughs> and then there's also Akira, the girl who is just way out of your league and you don't know whether you have a chance or not. Yeah, and as much as a lot of people will bring up High School Girl for being an accurate depiction of like gamers back in the nineties, more or less, especially for at least, like, at least the arcade scene. Well, yeah. arcade. I mean, the home console scene too. I mean, like, dude, remember how we laughed out loud when he bought himself a new Gear CD only to realize? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> there's a reason nobody bought this, and they show the loading screen. That's the reason. And I will say this. Um, 
So like something like High School Girl would definitely appear, I mean, appeal more to the sad, lonely, 40-year-old fucks like us. So it's like, <laughs> I remember... Hey, I remember that. That happened to me. That yeah, happened to sense, me. Yes. And I think that's probably why this is like this show has so, is like so popular because it's like, you know, there's something extremely universal about the guy coming to terms with adulthood and at the same time having to deal with early relationships and like your first love and how just yeah. brutally like awkward and like hard and it's, I mean like summed it up perfectly where he's like I know I have feelings but I just don't know what to do <laughs> yeah yeah and it's like I think there's a truthfulness to like High School Girl that I think is makes it probably one of the most quintessential animes in a long time because it does have some of the tropes but it feels genuinely written you know like you know that these the, the writers for this show are making sure that this is as real as a relationship can get when you're in your teens especially when you grew up together like when you're super young in uh, primary school going out to teens and you know that that kind of area where you're actually getting a job and you know have to think about life and all that except with you know arcade games in a way and I love how they timestamp everything like 1991 Street Fighter 2 and then like 1996 yeah, and then 96 yeah you know like you know like Alpha 2 comes out and I love the joke where basically Street Fighter 02 when is 3 gonna come out and then like <laughs> yeah Gucci's like no don't talk about that he's <laughs> <laughs> like and literally in the back of my head is like oh god season 3 is like if it's set after 96 it'll be 97 Street Fighter 3 comes out in 97 you know yeah. and it's like not only that PlayStation drops in 97 and also don't forget like the jokes they create around High Score Girl are not about are not the games itself they are stuff that's in the game that you know that people we we as retro gamers know you know because they made the jokes around that mm. you know like picking the wrong characters or buying an overpriced console that loads out CDs and shit or the CD character thing for Virtual Fighter which a lot of people to this day don't know about which <laughs> they brought it up here it's like I was laughing my ass off when that punchline came up I mean yeah. not only that right but also in how they use the video games as the perfect metaphor for their emotions and their characters yes because yeah. it's like uh, Yaguchi is famous for using turtling guile yeah you know what I mean and he, that literally is his personality he's defensive he's uh, he's always standing back he's keeping his distance and then like you know Akira is represented by Zangief you know she's powerful she's strong uh, you can keep her away but once she gets in close she's gonna smash you and then like yeah. you can literally see her like you know when she finally does get close with Yaguchi right yep and it, like uh, Yaguchi like what I kind of miss is Yaguchi doesn't get uh, I would say enough violence done to him <laughs> as opposed to season 1 I he mean did. the effects are still nice the sounds and everything but yeah season 1 is like the pinnacle of Yaguchi violence yes. I would say that you know, I miss him getting hit by that car randomly yeah yeah <laughs> it doesn't and happen as much and by Akira a lot too and as a guy growing up back in the day right you know the 90s arcade scene right uh, whenever you see Akira like beat the shit out of Yaguchi for doing bullshit moves right? yeah that really happened uh, chairs chair, getting used on your heads or getting knifed even yes or being threatened with knives so I mean I'm really looking forward to season 3 it's been announced so it definitely is getting a renewal I'm looking uh, I'm hoping to see what they do because it's like growing up in that era the next year would be 97 which is the year of like Final Fantasy drops on the Playstation notice oh, me yes. setting up a segue right there <laughs> Yep, yep. 97, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna call it, Yaguchi's gonna own a Dreamcast. <laughs> it is so yeah, his yeah. character. In 1999, he will own it. That's so him. Yes. Like, definitely season 3 is like, yep, but Yaguchi's probably gonna save money because he's gonna wait for the new Sega machine. 
because yeah. he was a Saturn fanboy, as it was established. He was really enamored by uh, Shenmue. Yes, that'll be the game he'll play. High School Girl Season 2. I would not say... No, it, it improves a lot from Season 1. The characters get way more dynamic and I'm definitely feeling for these characters. And I think this is probably one of the most addictive anime I've seen in a long while. Because I Yeah, they're not over-the-top kind of caricatures, even though they do talk loud in certain segments here and there. But they're more like, not your typical... I mean, it's not like super try hard in terms of like making sure every character gets the moment in the sun it's all just written in a very organic way which I like poor Hidaka who actually had to learn to be very good at fighting games just to get like Yaguchi's attention only to realise is like yep and Akira is in a, in a league all of her own yes. you know what I also I want to give shout, I want to give shout outs also to having them play a tournament together again mm-hmm. because I think like again, I don't want to spoil anything, right? But having uh, Yaguchi and Akira work towards that and just seeing how that plays out and how it also lays a foundation for the ending. And the ending is just so saccharine sweet. I was like, I mean, I'm not ashamed to say this. I was tearing up. Like, I was rooting for this asshole the whole time because... Yeah, yeah. Dumbass! <laughs> it's like, yeah, for me. It, it took him a while to realize all these things culminate to him doing what he needed to do. I mean, his, like, that, yeah. I mean, I, it was definitely triggering something in me, like some old nostalgia of like girlfriend's past where I was thinking like, if only I had the courage. <laughs> and it's like, you yeah. idiot. What? If only I figured that shit out instead of playing Final Fantasy VIII around that time, you know. Yeah, or Final Fantasy VII. <clears throat> yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Definitely. So, Last Game fans, if you have a Netflix account or if you have a Crunchyroll account and you have not witnessed the glory that is High School Girl, it's two seasons. Each one clocks in about, I don't know, half an hour per episode. It's like about 20 episodes, right? Yeah, like 25 minutes. It's really short. You can blaze through this in a weekend or so. And definitely, once you get to the good stuff, you will be hooked. You know, it's probably one of the most addictive animes I've seen in a long time, especially if you're an old school gamer or a gamer or you're just a young person dealing with... (laughs) You know, you know, love issues. You'll appreciate the references because they're done in a very cute, clever manner, especially when it comes to the in the voices of each of the characters, like we mentioned, Zangief, Guile, and uh, Huizil from Darkstalkers of all characters. Like, that's the one representing Hidaka, right? Yeah, Hidaka, yes. Yeah. So the I forgot what his Japanese name was. I know in America it's Huizil. Huizil, right? Mayan robot, yeah. Wait, maybe this will be a fun time to ask. Uh, John, if you were a lovelorn teenager from the 90s, who would your character be and how would it represent you? What would be the metaphor? It'll probably be... Um, because I know you like to use the big bodies too, right? You're a yeah, T-Hawk, Zangief yes. guy. Uh, Zangief, Sodom, um, Birdie. Yeah, I'll just... Pick one, pick try one. Hard. I'll just go with Birdie. So Birdie would be your love metaphor for relationships back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Try hard, always getting into it. Always trying to get in, even though you're trying to keep me away. But once I'm in, yeah, you cannot let go. What would, what would he say to you to encourage you to go after that girl? <laughs> get in, but, stay, but but know you're zoning or something. Yeah. Get in? Yeah. Get in, just do it. No consequences. Wear protection, yes. Wear protection. (laughs) Why do you have a hole in your mohawk? That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I have no idea. I was was drawn this way. Where do you stick that chain? (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Your your jeans are too tight. You don't even have enough pockets. This doesn't make make any design sense, sir. Uh, But it's just damn cool when he whips it out. (laughs) Man, I'm trying to to think about mines. Who would mine be? Akuma? No... I'm not cool enough to be a kuma. I, I remember myself when I was 16, 18. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, if it has to be a Street Fighter character, and if you say it's like, say, Super Turbo Era, right? My inner voice would definitely be Cammy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> 
It like, can't go wrong with someone who makes a One Piece look good, right? I don't know. Uh, I, I I would not be a character in high school, girl. <laughs> I would be a side character who gets beaten up by Akira and everybody forgets about <laughs> Damn. So there you go. Uh, speaking of retro games, uh, having a second lease on life. <laughs> I think we're going to need to talk about the biggest Mako-induced elephant in the room, which is uh, <laughs> Final Fantasy VII Remake, which came out a couple of days ago. Uh, I was lucky enough to actually get a copy of it a week prior before its release. Had to basically spend all day and night getting through the 30 plus hours of this game and all of its breath. I think everyone knows what the heck a Final Fantasy VII is. I mean, FF7 is synonymous with the PlayStation because of uh, the way it was basically like the very first Square Enix game that was actually exclusive to to PlayStation at the time. I would also say that Final Fantasy VII back in 97 for the PlayStation was definitely the reason people bought a PlayStation. Yes. One question we should tackle is like why this game was like really, really uh, popular in the first place. Like maybe you have your own theories before I bring up mine. I think several things. Uh, Final Fantasy VII was a step above from what Final Fantasy VI was or Final Fantasy III to all our US listeners. And not only did it introduce like 3D models, uh, polygons, it introduced CD quality music, which I know is not a new thing because that existed since the Sega CD. Uh, but also, there were so many other factors. Basically, um, if you recall, this was Sony basically telling Nintendo to go eat a sh- shit sandwich because yes. of the debacle over at like you know what happened within like it was Panasonic who eventually was. I don't, they uh, CDI, were, it was CDI, yeah, right. A Panasonic yeah. CDI, they joined up with Nintendo. Oh, they completely paid for like, that. It's basically sure. Nintendo backstabbing Sony because they were trying to convince Sony to help them develop their CD platform to compete with Sega. Yeah. And then basically, like, not only was Sony like, okay, you know what? Screw you for embarrassing us. We're going to make our own games console. And not only that, we're going to steal all the franchises that was loyal to you. Namely, probably one of the best-selling uh, RPGs of all time, Final Fantasy, which is up to six at that point. And yeah. the news of a new Final Fantasy jumping onto the brand new Sony PlayStation, a new console from this untested company. And like you can also understand, like back in the day, like we've seen it all. Like when yes. remember when people were like, Oh, Microsoft's gonna make a game console? It's never gonna pan out. Yeah. Yeah, and the Xbox 2001, exploded. 2001, 2002, it happened. Yes, and it's like that happened. Way before then, it was like, oh, Sony's gonna make like a games console. Pfft, what did they know? They make TVs and like discmen. It's like, yeah, they invented the PlayStation, and then the PlayStation yeah. forced everybody to up their game because, like, you're still playing on a cartridge. We have this like amazing new CD technology. Yes. And I would also say, uh, not only that, but once you got a game like Final Fantasy. A very beloved game and it's like you know what once you announce final fantasy 7 the new final fantasy is going to come out exclusively for sony playstation it's like all the japanese fans were like you know what i don't mind supporting another japanese brand because if it came out like say on a microsoft xbox whatever because if you understand if you remember like the whole final fantasy 13 coming on xbox as well and everybody was losing their shit like no this is this is a playstation exclusive yeah this is like 996 97 all over again oh i feel betrayed like i remember like this is like that time that square square soft was linked together with the playstation not just for one final fantasy games but six six final fantasy games yes that's a lot of final fantasy games on the playstation after the landmark final fantasy 6 and i'm thinking it's like you also have to understand Last King fans, right? We're definitely speaking from the Asian perspective. So for all US guys who have no idea what we're talking about, here's a history lesson. Final Fantasy is probably one of the 
biggest JRPGs of all time. And it's from one of the biggest companies of all time. Because not only did they make Final Fantasy VII, they also had Secret of Mana, they had the legendary Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. And it's like the pedigree was like basically whatever they released would just churn out money. And to have them jump ship and move on to the new Sony console. And not only that, like as much as people were skeptical about the quality of uh, Final Fantasy on a new platform, but it blew everybody away because it's like it's 3D. It's a larger game because the CD can hold more bits than a freaking like cartridge. Mm-hmm. The Dream Team, the guys behind Final Fantasy VII, brought their fucking A game. Yeah, you know what I mean. And the thing is, they they didn't jump ship for malicious reasons. They jump ship because they saw the potential on the CD technology, and they thought to themselves, "We can do so much more and tell a much bigger story." Yeah, which a they bigger story, did. a bigger world. I would say this right. Uh, I think for a lot of people. The Sony PlayStation was definitely their first console. Like, there's definitely every couple of generations, there will always be a console that will be tied to a certain, uh, like, you know, category of kids growing up and playing video games for the first time. Like, and unlike Final Fantasy VI, I think they had a lot more years to work on this because, again, new dev kits and everything, they need to figure out how to get this out within a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, you, like, for the diehard fans like us, from Final Fantasy VI and the stratospheric jump in quality to Final Fantasy 7 was extremely mind-blowing. It was, yeah. You know, and like we never saw we never saw anything like this. And then also coming soon would be the Metal Gear game. Like when Solid dropped on the PlayStation and it's like wow, the possibilities because for a lot of kids back then, right? This is the kind of shit we would see on PC games. You know what I mean? And like back then, PCs were extremely expensive. Like, you know, a Pentium 2 machine would still be upwards of $2,000 to $3,000. Yeah, by comparison, a PlayStation is so much cheaper. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And then there you go. Hours of fun. And like, not only that, probably, I, I mean, you should definitely know the, the memes by now. Uh, the story has one of the most memorable deaths in video gaming history. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it's also and a pretty good plot twist, like halfway through, that mm. your hero is not what he seems. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe Sephiroth was right all along. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was monumental and it's prime for a remake and it took them 15 years. And like for Final Fantasy VII, like, it's going to be very strange for us to review this game because we've got to compare it to a game, right? That I know for a lot of people will seem primitive in nature. But if you do play it and you do play it for the story and for the setting and for like, you know, it's it's turn-based like uh, fighting. Like it's, it's, a, it's a classic JRPG like amplified to a thousand. Mm-hmm. And here we have the 4K remaster. <laughs> like, I won't say it's a one-for-one remaster. There's a reason why they gave it such a funky title like FF7 Remake. Um, Much so like uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake? or Resident In a Evil? way, in a way, yes, yes. Uh, so shall we jump to uh, 2020 when this game is already out? You think about it, right? How many years is that we have to jump? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 23 years, more or less. Yeah. 23 years in the making, five years in development. Yes, five years. They announced this, uh, the remake, in about 2015 when that E3 happened. A lot of people were losing their shit, basically, when they saw the little... Square Enix teaser and then we see like two familiar silhouettes um, Barrett and Cloud's backs basically with the sword and the gun and everything mm-hmm. yep and that's actually a thing that's gonna happen and a lot of drip feeding happening here and there like revealing I think on that same year so 2015 um, 
Yoshinori Kitase, the, the producer for this project, said outright that this is going to be an episodic game and they're going to focus just on Midgar, which a lot of which actually sent people to a lot of like they have mixed feelings about it. Let's just say that they are like, why is this going to be a shorter game? Why is this and that and so? Mm. And then once this game is out after playing through it for like 30 hours, I can see why they did this. So, okay, so for those who haven't touched the game yet, um, this is like, again, we're retelling Final Fantasy VII story from in the Midgar part, basically, which is basically the five hours of um, Final Fantasy VII. But now, they ex- but, not, but now for 2020, the remake, they expanded it to about 30 hours of like fleshing out things here and there, like some additional story bits, some additional um, character focus, and a lot of like um, some new levels added in here and there just to make the story a little bit familiar, but a little different. But at the same time, all the new shit, the reason why it earns the remake name, all happens at the end of the game. Like at the start, like about the first hour when you're out of the Mako reactor after you defeat the Scorpion in the demo, you get out, you actually meet Aerith for the first time in that game. And she's actually been bullied by a bunch of ghosts, like this roped ghost that, that only can be seen if someone who sees it touches you. That's actually a plot point that carries on throughout the entire game. And without spoiling anything, because this game is still kind of fresh, it goes towards a more... I want to say even Rebirth of Evangelion kind of route. And that's all I'm going to say from, from there. Okay. I mean, and we're gonna try. Respect- we're gonna definitely try to avoid spoilers here because the game is yeah. pretty much still fresh as of this weekend for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And for those who are wondering if it's a one-to-one remake, in it's a not. way, yes. I don't in think it way, is right. But at the same time, the new additions kind of make it worth the thirty hours. Like not just the new fights, but also the new characters here and there. Mm. I mean, I can complain and say that maybe some of these characters don't need to be in. They just feel like padding. But for my like, maybe about. 90% of the game I didn't care because 90% I actually enjoyed all of it per se mm. I think the biggest part of it is definitely because of the rework combat system they are taking all the things they learned from Crisis Core from Final Fantasy Type 0 and FF15 definitely yeah and then they're gonna make it a bit more party savvy this game FF7 Remake they actually switch around the teams whenever they can depending on the story so you can't just master one character you kinda have to master all of them so Cloud is more or less your melee guy who has like two different fighting styles. Barret's your range guy. Aerith has a kind of range as well, but more healer-centric and has a charge attack that shoots out really slow. But once it hits an opponent, if his opponent is stationary, it hits really hard. And Tifa is like your uh, hit and run kind of character. She hits fast, but she cannot get damage a lot. She cannot get damage a lot because again, she's like a glass kite in a sense. So yeah, you have to switch around with these characters. You can actually assign commands while you're fighting these characters. And you need to actually wait for your ATB meter to charge. Um, when you start the fight, everybody starts with zero ATB. You only can get up to two meters. When you use an ATB, you get to use a command. Whereas if you use items, you get to cast a spell or use a special move. So you kind of have to juggle your priorities. Like if you use a one character, if he attacks the most, his ATB charges faster. So you kind of have to juggle around who actually has to take point in the fights because it's all real-time attacks. You can still pause time, but it slows down when you open up a menu and you only can use it when your ATB meter is filled. So it's more like a tactical kind of battle in a sense. So this is actually what Square Squaresoft has been trying to do since Final Fantasy IV, trying to make the turn-based combat feel more alive 
So they want to bring the menu system. So I believe FF7 Remakes Combat is that happening full circle now with a more bigger focus on action. The directors did mention that they want to keep it like that because everyone else is not going to go back to turn-based anymore, even with the ATB kind of system going on. So this is the most logical step to do uh, ever since the, the reception from Part 15 and a Crisis Core and even Type Zero, uh, FF Type Zero. Yeah, I mean, I also want to go back on an earlier point, right? Because like you did mention, like why people are really so hyped up about this game, right? Is like, I mean, we also need to kind of bring up Advent Children for showing us what a fully CGI rendered cloud could possibly look like, which was definitely the impetus, plus all the rumors, plus all the, I would say, the hype around this, right? And like. Um, as a Final Fantasy fan, do you feel like this is definitely a worthy entry into the lexicon of Final Fantasy games? I mean, I'm not asking you to rank it now, but what I'm saying is like, uh, there have been a few, I would say, I mean, even their worst Final Fantasy game is not a total shit show. <laughs> Unless you are... count FF14, that was a nah. complete shit show. <laughs> it, yeah. it, 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 had its, it has its place. No, 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 I'm not talking about the, the rebirth. I'm talking about like the first version of FF14. That was bad, dude. Eh, I mean, it was trying things. Yeah, yeah. But I always want to say this, right? Uh, I think a lot of people will feel mm, pretty much like, okay, is the legacy intact? Is the the lineage and the, the high level of quality still there? Because, I mean, on your earlier point, when you mentioned how people were pretty much all pissed off, but why are you releasing this as episodic content? I think for them, right, they thought that Final Fantasy VII Remake would just basically be the original Final Fantasy with updated graphics. I think they weren't expecting the amount of care and polish that Square Enix was actually going to put into this by not only making each episode like an entire 40-hour game. Because, I mean, yeah. if you do recall, right, the original Final Fantasy VII, right, you can definitely beat it in under 20 hours if you work hard enough. Mm -hmm. You know? And it's like, for them, what they thought was like, oh, if you're going to piecemeal it to us in like maybe, like, say four chapters right oh so there's only 10 like three 10 hour games and you want us to play full price and i think a lot of uh people who were on the fence about buying this game right especially if you listen to our review right nah it's not just a small piece of the original game they took an idea or a concept and like when you mentioned it was like the first time we heard that okay uh the first episode is gonna just take place in midgar and for a lot of us it's like oh that's only like a four or five hour segment yeah and it's like, oh no, it's it's been fleshed out to be like a 40-hour segment because we're not anymore limited to like that classic Resident Evil force perspectives. We can actually explore yeah. the entire city now. Yeah, we can make a bigger stage out of everything or even add in like character moments that you didn't know that it deserved and then make you actually care about certain characters like uh, Big Switch and Jesse mm. and even some of the characters in the wall market as well, like here and there, like Johnny or even Leslie, some of the new additions here. And what they've done... Oh, and my also the best fleshed out edition for FF7 Remake is definitely Aerith. I mean, everyone remembers Aerith for her death mostly, as well as being a, <laughs> as well as, uh, being a healer. Here you know, in FF Remake, you remember her because she's a very funny, yet street-savvy, smart flower girl, basically. I mean, she's they decided to beef up everybody's personalities, right? Yes, to a better... It's like, better, like, even Barrett and Tifa, they get a bit of upgrades here and there, like, being the mother-father kind of role for the Avalanche group, per se. Mm. But Aerith is definitely the most fleshed out. Like, you... When you see her in the flower... In the church, and then when you get out from the Turks, when you get away from the Turks, when you're up in the roof, that scene from the original was extended a little bit, to actually add more gravitas and pathos in the relationship between both Cloud and Aerith. 
like, what relationship ev- he, he's an edge lord and she's like <laughs> no they've actually gone beyond that like you'd be like okay I've, I can see why Cloud actually gives a shit about Aerith per se after this entire 30 hour adventure per se it actually I mean, works out to the people who had to, to every person who likes the story in their favour like um, Eric, I mean, okay. This also helps that she was voiced by Maya Sakamoto and uh, Erica Lynn. No, no, there's another woman. I forgot her name. Britney Spears. No, no, no. <laughs> Britney something. Cummings. I forgot Snow or something. Yeah, yeah. But the, she, the English voice actress, yeah, she did a really good job in basically what? portraying a very sweet, street smart kind of character. You played this game with the English voice settings. Yes, How I did. And I, I'm not ashamed of it. It's actually a really good English dub. Well, I, I yes. shall play with the original Japanese voice cards and subtitles like a real gamer. <laughs> yeah, but I try, I, because I figured, ah, just try it in English and, wow, I'm actually impressed with how everyone sounds. Well, with the amount of money this is supposed to make, you better hit it out of the park. Exactly, yeah. And actually, Superman actually voiced Sephiroth. I'm actually surprised. Which Superman? Uh, CW Superman. Really? Yes. Uh, Tyler Koenig. Cool something. I don't I have no idea. I don't watch yeah, yeah. CW He's from Superman. A Supergirl uh, as Superman, so... <laughs> mm. There's kind of nice little tidbits here and there, like when I noticed some of the voice. Oh, and uh, Tifa is voiced by um, that girl from Glow. Um, Alison Brie? Mark Maron's daughter. Mark Maron's daughter. Oh, really? Yes, that girl. Uh, oh, that's going to kind of ruin it for me, though. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't. I find her kind of annoying. <laughs> no, it's actually, she actually plays it kind of low-key as Tifa in a way, like a very... I'm just going to switch back to the Japanese voice. Oh. Of course you will. <laughs> like a true fan. <laughs> But in a sense, I again, Aerith is definitely the biggest improvement in terms of like character, character, character work here and there. Again, makes me kind of fall in love with the character all over again. Like, I did like how she looked in the first game, but this one is like, yep, okay, I can see why I did the remake. You kind of want to make some characters a bit more substantial than they were back in 1997 because you know you got a bigger plot to worry about per se. I mean, the conversation can also steer towards, like, if you recall the reason why we, like, were so hyped up about the Sony PlayStation was because from cartridge to CD, with the amount of disk space available to you, mm-hmm. which literally reciprocates to the amount of game you can put onto the medium. Yeah, and, and back like, then it was super impressive, dude. Yeah. I mean, like, for a CD, a CD is like 700 megabytes. Like, now we're living in a day where it's like, it's a 100 gigabyte install for certain games nowadays. Yes, especially FS7 Remake. That's 100 yeah. gigs. I mean, yeah. like back in the day, like our CDs, oh, they needed to fit onto like our games needed to fit onto a CD. Mm-hmm. Now games need to fit on a solid state drive that's probably in the terabyte range. So like, oh. yeah, yeah. I mean, and like, they took, and then the creators took full advantage of that. Mm. And we gotta remember, like, okay, even though the director is Tetsuya Nomura for the whole project, a lot of the old guard from FF Seven are back doing this. Um, like Sakaguchi is there to no, executive no, 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 Sakaguchi, produce. Uh, Yoshinori Kitase, Kitase-san. Okay. He was the FF6, FF7 guy. Now he's the producer role. So, Saku- so Sakaguchi is not... He, he's, he's a Miss Walker guy. He's already in Miss Walker and his own company. Mm. Um, Kazu, Kazushige Nojima did the script for the FF7 remake. Changes and everything. Um, of course, artist Tetsuya Nomura is still kind of handling that along as, with director work. Motobu Toriyama, who did the CGI work for FF7, he's also in the director's chair as well alongside uh, Naoki Hagamuchi as well. I mean, like, I also want to ask you about the gameplay. Like, does this feel like an improvement or does this feel like a reskin? Because I think another... Oh, it is not a reskin. This is like um, an upgrade per se. Like, hmm. back then, we're fine with turn-based combat because that was the standard back no, then. No, no, I mean, you're missing the point. What I'm trying to say okay. is like, uh, compared to say something like maybe... I'm, I'm, okay, here's the point I'm trying to make. Like, 
from FF 13, 14, 15. Okay, like by right there should be a 16, but instead of going the way of 16, they decided to drop Final Fantasy VII Remake because I yes. think there's still no actual news of a 16 anytime soon. In fact, it might be possible that they're only going to be concentrating on this. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I mean, there's also maybe a large population of gamers out there who feel like, okay, they run out of ideas, so what they're going to do is they're going to rehash an old game and just add their own spin on it. And like, Though some people might feel like, okay, that could be insincere or maybe in another way. Like, you can be cynical about how this is trying to tap into the sentimentality and the nostalgia of a lot of old school gamers. Because, like, how can you not buy Final Fantasy VII again? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, But I would say, like, maybe what I want to ask you is, like, does this feel like a genuine attempt at retelling a story through the modern lens or maybe is it an opportunity for guys who worked on the game back in the day because like why I asked you about who the producers were mm-hmm. it kind of feels like okay maybe because of the limitations of like maybe fitting a game on a CD right or maybe even fitting it on a DVD you know but now it's like okay you don't have those spatial limitations anymore it's like make the game you've always wanted to make because when you say it was fleshed out does it feel like okay this is the story they've always wanted to tell but due to time constraints and due to space limitations like Final Fantasy VII was probably like a small percentage of a bigger idea and this is them re-attempting the bigger idea. I think this is more like uh, they've already gave their best ideas in FF7. This is more like we're going back to this because we know that we can do a different spin or a different take on a familiar tale. And plus it was actually like because Tetsuya Nomura, um, the producers and uh, Kitase-san, they all, they're all getting I guess they're all getting old and they're going to have the new <laughs> guard taking over anyway. So mm-hmm. why not just go back to one of their most cherished projects and yeah. then uh, do something a little different yet kind of similar to familiar all the same while also w- looking like a 2020 game. I which think they also, actually accomplish in stride here. I, feel. I think also that the main challenge is right. If you have like a beloved entry into the franchise like Final Fantasy VII if you fucked it up right, the backlash you would get would be definitely like the kind you've never seen before because this is like if you messed up Final Fantasy 7 remake because like like previously we did review Resident Evil 3 and I tried my best to apologize for that game even though I know for a fact that it's a cut down version of a game that's actually short enough to begin with yeah yeah and then like now it's like okay Final Fantasy 7 is like you really need to impress and I think like the, the pressure on these guys shoulders to, like because this game was like delayed twice, right? Like no, three times actually. Uh, it was like a couple of times. Um, or More maybe they didn't announce a date at all. Um, we're not too sure. But like, yeah, they've been very very coy about the release date and everything. But I would say so. this, right? Imagine if you're the development team, and then like, okay, everybody, we're gonna do Final Fantasy VII remake. Hold on to your sphincters because we're gonna tell the whole world this is what we're gonna do. We are gonna get nothing but the most scrutiny and the most. It's like, the most detail, yes. Um, so this was definitely in its own right a very monumental task for this development team because it's like not only do you need to produce a high quality modern Final Fantasy game but you're bringing upon you like the potential for the backlash and also the weight of the whole legacy of Final Fantasy 7 on your soldiers as you're just trying to put this game together. Oh, seeing the interviews, yes, I can see that. You can when you shared the interviews with me, right? You could tell they were so nervous, and it's not the usual kind of Japanese nervous where it's like, "We really want you to enjoy our product." It's like, "Please don't kill us. We're actually <laughs> please don't hunt us down." <laughs> we really are. We we're doing this, and we know 
that this could be a that we know what we're facing this is this is the kind of this is the kind of thing like i it's like imagine you're a film director and you need to remake a classic film yep you know what i mean like it can be like spike lee trying to remake old boy and it's like i don't care what people say because it's my interpretation blah 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 and be an asshole about it yeah and then you can be like the kind of guy who's like no 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 i i fucking love this franchise or we were there we grew up with this franchise or we were the apprentices of the guy who made this and like you i mean imagine waking up every day drinking your coffee getting on the train from like wherever to the office in in japan right and it's like sitting down at your desk is like okay i need to make a masterpiece or yes. i'm gonna get my ass kicked <laughs> i think everyone else yeah had that same feeling too um i should also mention that a lot of these some of the staff members especially for the music side they're all Pro, like basically like successes for Nobu Ematsu and everyone else because they've worked in Square when they, they were called Squaresoft la, like yeah. about the 97-98 era uh, Masashi Hamazu who composed the music using the original score from Nobu Ematsu he did his damnedest to make sure that at least a lot the arrangements sound different depending on the mood it's how mood music basically like if it sounds like more derpy we're gonna make a derpy <laughs> version of Eritus team which actually happens I actually, actually laugh my ass off when that happened um, wow. and then the, and then when it comes to like a more hip version of Tifa's theme they did that that worked really well mm-hmm. and I thought I was going to get sick of hearing uh, Let the Battle Begin when it's been remixed but I was not they actually did a version where they're like three stages of the music when you're fighting the boss and it actually matches like the beginning middle and the climax which works really well where they shift some of the tones and shift a bit of the pitches here and there and it completely works mm-hmm. and if you like Themes like Genova and uh, One Winged Angel, yeah, you gotta love what they did here. Mm. Without I mean, any spoilers whatsoever. I mean, I would say this also, right? Like for a game with this amount of pressure and like the fact that you need to step out of the shadows of giants, because like Final Fantasy VII was the game of the PlayStation when it first. And dropped, it was right? the previous giants who did the masterpiece in the first place. Like, and it's like, and none of them were there to oversee. I mean, they were probably there to like maybe supervise in small ways, right? But I think this was basically, okay, we're passing the torch to you. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, the torch has been actually passed to Tetsuya Nomura, who kind of proved himself with the Kingdom Hearts series. He did, he did the artwork for FF6 and 7, but in terms of directing, this is like his few ones outside of the Kingdom Hearts series. Yeah, and like when I heard about that, right, I was slightly nervous because I was not a fan of Kingdom Hearts 3 at all. But I mean, I'm, I'm less of a fan. I mean, the story was good. But I was like really disappointed with the gameplay, and then when he told me like, okay, they're adopting the more uh, modern style Final Fantasy gameplay, where it's a bit more real time, he's yep. like, I would think like, yeah, it would not make sense for them to go back to the past and try to do turn base all over again. Yeah, and I'm glad they didn't because this, like I mentioned before, this combat's actually really good. There are actually a lot of fights that. Like, sure, when you start fighting the Scorpion and then you fight the Airbuster, like, in between doing the side quests, it's easy enough. And then when you get to fighting guys like the Hell House and the, the Abzu, the giant monster who throws, like, the, the water-based monster, like, you have to stand in a particular area, otherwise you get killed by the water pipes. That actually works to, your, to the creative game's favor because the fights do get creative. Like, I'm going to bring up the Hell House as an example. Halfway in the fight, it brings out a shield. You need, there's only a window of opportunity where you need to change, you need to use a different element to what the Hell House is using so that you can damage it efficiently. Otherwise, you're going to have a bit of a stalemate fight and you kind of want to kill this guy really fast la, because he deals a lot of damage. 
So there are many fights where they, they actually play around the concept of staggering them, you know, when you actually build up the meter and using the best attacks to make sure they get dizzy, you know, like in the fighting game. I mean, I also want to ask, like, uh, I'm pretty sure, like, all the Last King fans are wondering, like, when they're going to get to it. Do we, do we need to mention the graphics? Are the graphics as spellbinding and as immaculate and as jaw-dropping? They are, except I can point, I can nitpick like one or two bits. <laughs> like like the, the first part, when the first time when you started the game, when you actually enter um, Seven Heaven and there's a hotel nearby, the hotel doors for some reason is like, there's no texture. So there's like still some spots that kind of miss some like QA and testing here and there. Ooh. But the overall graphics, especially when it comes to the vistas, when you actually look out to Section 7 or when Sector 7 or Sector 5, when you see Wall Market, when you get a nice view of when you're climbing all the way to the top to Shinra Tower, that's where all the money is last spent, you know, like all the polish is there, the typical square vistas and the graphics and everything. That's where all the work has been put. Just a little parts that you know you can just point out like what the fuck happened here you know I mean it's just nitpicks right I mean it's yeah. not like a detriment to the entire gameplay experience because it's definitely like, not definitely not I mean like the 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 most important question is definitely is Cloud as pretty as he is <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, especially when he starts putting on the dress in a particular segment that they recreated faithfully and in the like better than in the first game. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean I always say this right. Uh, does this feel like? Uh, I don't know because I can't really quite think of any other comparison other than Resident Evil 2 where Resident Evil 2 and then the thing is the lineage is very similar because both of them shared the very uh, blocky kind of fixed perspective cameras and then they moved into like the third person realm and then like something like Final Fantasy like if you play FF7 right it's like yeah it's a game of its time yeah you yeah. know and, and then like we cannot ever go back to kind of first like fixed perspective like games ever again unless you're an indie game Maker, then maybe, but I I don't think those will sell as well as they should. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as much as I also want to kind of ask you, like, is this the death knell for the classic force perspective video games, which I think had its time and doesn't need to ever be revisited. I think every game has been using the third person camera perspective, not just for the remakes, but just for action games in general. So yeah, it's pretty much dead. So I would say (laughs) pretty much dead. (laughs) I think the fixed perspective camera angle will only work if you're doing a retro game on it. I think there was some, one or two survival horror games, like PS1 style horror games that came out on PC. I mean, it's an aesthetic choice, right? But I don't think it's something that will definitely uh, garner mainstream appeal. Not Uh, something a AAA studio will be doing, that's for sure. I mean, like, it's so, it, like if you want to do something throwback, right, you got to actually wrap the entire game around the aesthetic because if it doesn't add to the gameplay, then I don't see a point in it. Exactly. Uh, but I mean, like, the, the actual... But here's the question. is like, okay, so if you want to compare Resident Evil 2 to Resident Evil 2 Remake, like, there is definitely a leap that goes around the moon here. It is a stratospheric jump. Is this a stratospheric jump? And the thing is, we're not just we're not talking about the graphics because it's very easy to point to the graphics and say, oh, yeah, it looks better. But... As a game, as something that has this much legacy, as something that is definitely tied to a lot of us old school gamers as a very defining moment in our video game history, right? Does this not does this game not only do justice, but does this game blow away expectations? It did actually for both counts, I have to confess. Like okay, you know like a whole material system they had in ninety seven, uh, Final Fantasy? Mm-hmm. They actually did a more not a simplified version, it's about the same basically, except now your characters are a bit more pronounced with your triangle abilities, for one. 
Um, and then the two, the second part is like the weapons that you get to collect. Um, you got to collect some of the old weapons from the previous game, but now you can use whatever you want. You whatever SP you get to upgrade it will cater to your different fight styles. Like if you want Cloud to be a mage, you use the Twin Blade. Or if you want him just to be like a complete melee guy, you pick the Hard Edge or Iron Iron Blade. Or the bus or if you want like the balance of both, you pick the Buster Sword because those weapons are tailored with their bus and everything to cater to those particular playstyles. Ditto for you know Aerith, Barret, and um, Tifa as well. Um, in fact, Barret even has a melee weapon if you actually play your cards right. But mm. you know you're so used to using a ranged character. Why do you want him to be melee right? Unless you just want to make the game harder for yourself or you want to try something new, right? That's probably an achievement. We have to collect all the weapons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's actually achievements for weapon collection or, you know, doing the mini games right, per se. And mm. they actually do film organic instead of, like, being thrown up here and there like they did in Final Fan the old Final Fantasy games. This felt yeah. more like, it happens, you don't have to care about it. If you fail, you're fine. You just don't get the rewards. And you can just move on the story. So, okay, I mean, they, um, I wouldn't say that they were tacked on in the original game, but, yeah, I mean, it's nice to know that they still managed to keep some of the I mean the essence of the original game because you can't steer too far away from the source material because that would yeah. definitely anger fans. This uh, is like definitely tailored for FF7 fans like the old school ones especially and the mid fans who actually did like the old FF games. I think like, like, all the all the, all the little easter eggs and all the little uh, character side character fleshing out and the additional story would actually make them love, fall in love with the game once more. Especially with the not just the graphics, but also the storytelling and also the combat as well. I mean, would you say that this is definitely for the for the FF7 fan who's grown up and has never left, and like he just wants something to not only remind him of the past, but also to like be. I mean, I would say this guys who play FF7, just gamers in general, right? We never give up our hobby. Like this is something that we'd be doing, and it's like. It's not only like paying tribute to the legacy of the game, but also to the legacy of the gamer because it's like, yes. yeah, we've definitely improved beyond like fixed perspective cameras and turn-based games, but it's like, yeah, it's a modern version of Final Fantasy VII. And I think like maybe in terms of fan service, it delivers it in spades. I mean, yeah, in spades, yes. Um, they even highlight like some bits like the honeybee in bit is soup. It's highly improvised. I mean, it's like, again, they have all this time. They want to they have to make it more bombastic and more over-the-top stupid. <laughs> and they did it just that. And it worked because the best moments of Final Fantasy VII Remake are the ones where it just goes over the top. Like, let's not forget, Cloud is a guy back in 97 who can snowboard, can do RTSs, can be cam cam camouflaged as a grunt soldier, can survive hypothermia, and a bunch of other shit. So, I don't know, anything else you want to add? Or can we wrap up this review? I think we can wrap it up without spoilers because everything else I'm gonna can just bring up is more like if you guys are, are playing this game right now, try not to try to avoid the forums because your opinions might be a bit. Uh, play the game, finish it, and see what you think of it, especially how it ends. Because I'm actually looking at a bunch of forums right now after completing the game, everything, and let's just say there's a lot of people who are divisive about how this game ended. But personally, I feel that this is like. If you're calling it that, a remake, I believe you earn that, that whole rebirth um, kind of prospecting here and there. And again, your, your justification might be, especially when, you know, with the director's name in tow, like uh, Tetsuya Nomura. But overall, what we have right now, this game that we have, like, uh, it's really, really good. It does justice to the franchise and everything. And then some, especially when it, 
actually creates a really good combat system, a really good way of fleshing out story beyond just a five-hour bit in Midgar and making Midgar just alive. And in the end, this is kind of what we want from a game that's trying to mix in the old and the new. So final verdict? I'm going to say 9 out of 10. It's still nine a great game. 9 out of 10. Yeah. Like so, I can say that I can remember like dungeons that fell a bit too long, longer than it should. But again, this is all nitpicking because I kind of enjoyed my experience and be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe this roundabout thing shouldn't happen, you know? Like maybe if I can nitpick and play the game again and again. But these are more like, okay, la, this is how it's designed. I know what it's going for. And it succeeds at doing what it's supposed to do, which is a throwback while introducing a lot of new things, taking a lot of new Final Fantasy elements from Part 15 and Lightning Returns and everything, and then just doing its own spin while also hitting the points home with its old story, with its twist as well. So, like, for the super reasonable price of 111 Singapore dollars on the PlayStation I think it's like Store. Eight, oh, okay, I thought it was 80 Sing. Uh, no, I'm talking uh, about the, the digital deluxe edition. Oh, <laughs> right, just buy their standard version. Fuck it. Yeah. But... I need to get the early purchase bonuses like the Chocobo uh. Chick summoning materia oh, or the get, dynamic get, PS4 theme. I think you only get Carbuncle and a few other summons. That's not, they're not really that important to be honest. Mm. Oh yeah, you get summons. I totally forgot. Yeah, you summon. Your summons only pop up when you're at low health or when a certain time has passed in the boss fight. You summon it and then it becomes like an AI independent partner. You get to command it to do moves depending on your ATB. And then when its time is up, it'll do its... Uh, Trademark move la, like Ifrit's um, Burning Inferno move or Shiva's Diamond Dust or Bahamut's uh, Zero Flare or Mega Flare or uh, yeah, Mega Flare. Yeah. There you have it, Last King fans. Final Fantasy VII Remake has finally arrived and it's heavily recommended from your friends here at The Last King. Yes, it's really, really good stuff. Way I would totally more ask recommended. you to buy it, Shafiq, if you can. I just did. Okay, <laughs> I'm on the awesome, PlayStation Store awesome. right now. I'm, right. St- I'm deciding between the Digital Deluxe Edition, the Regular Edition, or the Regular Edition plus the Digital Deluxe Upgrade because currently PlayStation ha- is having a store sale. Nice. Ooh, uh, Monster Hunter is free and so is Uncharted 4. Oh, that's for the PlayStation uh, Plus thing. That's awesome. Yes. You know, yes, please subscribe to PlayStation Plus. So, uh, yeah, it's $80, sir. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Okay, yeah, that's a new game, so it's expected. Should and I get the Chinese, Korean, or should I get the English, Japanese? English, Japanese. Get English, Japanese, dude, come on. <laughs> Can I say this, right? As of now, on the PlayStation Store, Final Fantasy VII Remake has 4,033 uh, ratings of five stars. Yeah, I'm not really surprised, yeah. But what mm. I'm surprised is I actually enjoy enjoyed loving this more than I should, because... I always thought FF6 was the better game story-wise. FF7 had a bit of a bunch of plot holes here and there, but once I played it, I grew to love it per se after completing it a couple of times. So playing this, I thought it wasn't going to, you know, match up to what I expected from FF7. But after finishing the remake, it was like, yeah, okay, I kind of want to see more of this, dude. What I have here is actually a trippier gold. So there you have it. Uh... I mean, that wraps up our Final Fantasy VII Remake Yeah, I think <laughs> that's all much to say. I mean, if you're expecting a huge anger-filled rant, I'm sorry to disappoint. It's another love fest. I really fest. enjoyed this game, man. You know what? Yeah. This was definitely the best remake this year, right after Resident Evil 3 Remake, which we gave very tepid reviews. But yeah, yeah. you know what? If you were saving your money for Final Fantasy VII Remake, yeah, buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah we are it. in no way sponsored by Sony. We're just fans of the game. <laughs> yeah, as you can tell from our two-hour Final Fantasy episode <laughs> that we released back in Season 1. <laughs> Dude, I just added this to Basket. I just bought it and I'm 
I'm just downloading it right now on PS4. Uh, I'm gonna right, start playing then. this game the moment we get off the air. So, nice. Last King fans, uh, this should be our sign out right now. So, who are we again? Uh, I am the Mako Poisoned Mr. Toffee. <laughs> <laughs> Very Mako Poisoned, yes. And I am the unbeatable final boss of Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo Shafik <laughs> signing out. <laughs>